For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Please listen carefully, carefully, carefully. Hello, and welcome to the Utterly Moderate Podcast, where two reasonable social scientists discuss big, important topics by presenting just the facts and none of the unneeded opinions and bias. I'm Allison Dagnus. I'm a political scientist. And I'm Lawrence Zeppard. I'm a sociologist. How are you today, Allie? I am great, Lawrence. Thank you for asking. We have such a fun episode today. We have been saving it. We've been saving it. It's a summer uh, explosion of joy <laughs> today uh, because we are bringing on. We're bringing on one of one of my people, Lawrence. That's right, a political scientist. Should I be afraid? You should be very afraid uh, because there's we're two of you. On, I know exactly. You are outnumbered. You are outmanned. Uh, take that. It's it's a it's a, a war of the social scientists. Take that, sociology. You've been getting too high on the hog. <laughs> That's exactly right. We've read about you. Um, We're going to be talking about all of the things that every American should know about government. Ooh, all right. I know. It's a sexy, sexy episode. (laughs) Everybody loves government. It's a sexapode. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to get quizzed. And um, I sense good things from you, Lawrence. I expect you to I expect you to rise to the occasion and answer all of the questions um, perfectly. And if you yeah. don't, yeah, then I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be good. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a sociologist, so, you know. But uh, despite the fact that I'll probably fail uh, mm. this entire episode, well, I do know that you're bringing on a great guest, Lance Bailey, who it's true. we are colleagues with. More than colleagues, we are friends with yes. Lance Bailey. Yes. And you have a history with Lance. Long I do. I do have a history with Lance. I went to graduate school with Lance. And he is uh he is more than uh just a friend. He is a he is a family member. He's part of the family that I have built. Um and so uh bringing Lance on is a delight. It's like bringing on my brother. So I'm very excited. It's gonna be a lot of fun. You know, Ali, I'm an introvert and uh I'm really socially anxious. And so it takes me a while to really talk to people. And I often just kind of observe from afar. So when I first came to ship, I was much quieter. I kind of just scoped people out. And I was looking for people who were genuinely good people with a good heart. And obviously, I noticed you and your outsized personality <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> uh, being on the same floor is kind of hard to miss. And uh, Lance was one of those people who I quickly identified as just a really genuinely good person in addition to how smart he is and, and just how good he is as an academic, but he's a really great guy. It is true. And you know what? You are really short selling my outsized personality. <laughs> well, uh, I think our listeners know all about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, Allie, before we get into the show today, I am not sure that you're aware of this. You might be aware of this. I don't know. I don't know how much you pay attention to our show. 
Um, I'm not sure you listen to our show, uh, but <laughs> we have a show. I thought we've just been doing this for fun. We're like, Allie, <laughs> people are listening to this. That's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> the, the shows drop on Monday and I'll, I'll like text Allie and I'll be like, Hey, Allie, what'd you think about this, you know, editor or, or this clip that I dropped in and you'll give these really generic bland replies. I'm like, she didn't <laughs> listen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have I have had um I have had students say that my voice sometimes <laughs> is grating, and so um I am my own worst worst critic. So there, I I do listen to our our episodes. Then there are times when I'll say, "Oh no, my voice is so grating," and so I will turn it off. Well, I think you sound great, and this is actually our twenty seventh show. So a couple shows ago on the NASA and Nukes show. We actually passed a big milestone. It was our 25th episode. So congratulations, Allie. Congratulations. It's our, it's our, our podiversary. Podiversary. That sounds weird and like fungus-like, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, it does. So it uh, sound very right. briefly, because yeah. I can, I can, in my head, I can see how utterly not moderate, but boring. Uh, this could be if we uh, belabor this too long. Um, but very briefly. So I don't know if it was uh, late fall 2020 or if it was early uh, 2021. But at some point, I had an idea that I was going to do a podcast. And then I was like, I need somebody to be my co-host who has personality because I have none. <laughs> <laughs> and you couldn't find one. So instead you picked me. Not true. Not true. <laughs> and I actually think I just decided like, okay, it's going to be Allie. Um, and like without it, I, there was no list. It was, it's going to be Allie. <laughs> and I, I think I started shopping it around what, you know, uh, before I even told you about it. And then I was, I think I texted you or called you. You so called Allie, me and you were like, okay, you could say no, but I really, I don't want you to. Do you want to do a podcast with me? I was like, yeah. You're like, okay, but you could say no. I was like, no, that's no. Yeah, I do. You're like, okay, but and I was like, no, no, we're good. What's it about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I, I swear at some point I was just like, I think you asked me like, I don't know. I feel like at some point I was way out ahead and you were like, what are we doing? I'm like, don't worry. It's just show up on Monday. <laughs> oh my gosh. You were, you got so far out. You're, you were booking people. I was like, we don't have a name yet. Don't what worry. are we booking them for? <laughs> we don't, we don't have mics. Don't worry. <laughs> You're like, it'll, it'll just, it'll fall into place. I was like, I don't think that's the way this really works, but it worked. You totally did it. Millennials. That's the, that's the point. Millennials. I'm not a millennial. Uh, What's really funny is, mm -hmm. and, and nobody who listens to the show knows this, and Allie will deny this to her grave, uh, but she is deeply insecure about her performance <laughs> on this show. You are. Uh, and it comes across heavily you know, because we, we do our pod business through text because Allie hates talking to me. And um, <laughs> so, we do a lot of our pod business on text and you are deeply insecure. And I find it so, I don't find it funny because that'd be sad, right? Like you don't want to. Uh, find someone else's insecurities funny, but um, that's not I just, true. I find your insecurities hilarious. <laughs> like both of us are equally insecure. We can't. You, you you keep coming to me at the same time that I come to you. I'm like, is this when you're going to fire me? Yeah, well, that's that comes up a lot, and you'd be surprised how much it comes up. Like I think you think <laughs> it comes up a lot less than it does. I think you ask me if I'm going to fire you every conversation we have. <laughs> and what's hilarious to me is not that because that's not you know that pain doesn't make me laugh, but 
Uh, Maybe a little bit. Is that literally when I decided to do the pod, I knew I was going to have a co-host and that's as far as I got, right? Like I was just like, okay, I'm going to do a pod. It's going to be educational. I'm going to need a co-host. And then I just started thinking about other things before I even think about who I was going to bring on. But once I got back to that, I was like, oh yeah, Allie's the talent. <laughs> Let's be clear. Allie is the Aww. talent. She is the person people are going to come on to hear say all the funny are, things she says. You are setting me up. This is how this is how I start getting hate mail. People are going to be like, <laughs> no, 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 no. She does have a terrible voice. She's horrible. She does not no, understand no, science. No, no. Also, it's painfully obvious she doesn't understand much. And she keeps insulting her mother. Like, no, she's not the talent. Lawrence, you're the talent. I had no idea that that would work. But hey, if that's true, <laughs> yes, please, everybody, stop sending your hate mail to me. <laughs> you can now send it to Allie. I'm the one that checks the utterly moderate email. <laughs> Maybe I'll just have Allie do it from now on. But they're mostly directed at me. <laughs> well, if, and I keep thinking that you're you're hiding all of them from me. Which, by the way, thank you. I appreciate that. Because you know that if I get anything like that, I'm just going to start bruising in front of you. And it's going to be very, very bad. So thank you for shielding me from the pain. Well, Allie, let me just be clear. Um, you're, <laughs> you are the talent. Thank you. I think. Thank you. Uh, you're the energy and the humor. And Aww. I don't know why you said yes to doing it, uh, but I appreciate it. Um, I'm never going to fire you. Actually, what I, well, every week is just basically, I hope she'll hang on for another one. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, thank you, Lawrence. That is so sweet. Thank, thank you. you. I'm and the Vanna White. I'm the Vanna White of Utterly Moderate. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the guy that holds the boom mic. <laughs> well Allie, here's even though we're on episode 27 uh, here's to another 25 my friend hey yay get us to 52 just like me <laughs> i just celebrated my 52nd birthday so you let's did. get us to 52 yep well i did say happy birthday to you on the day uh we'll just go ahead and say it now happy belated birthday Allie, well from thank all the you. listeners Thank you. I do appreciate that. That's my Muppet <laughs> voice. Thank you. Very Allie much. Dagnus is a Jim Henson production. It's, <laughs> it's in my Wikipedia page. <laughs> All right, Allie, you ready to bring on our guest? Um, today, we are going to be joined by Lance Bailey, and he uh, comes to us from West Virginia, wild West Virginia, um, but he's a professor at Chip with us. And I first met Lance in graduate school at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. We met each other, good gravy, 20 years ago, something like that. And um, what year is it? God, it might be more than 20 years ago. It's more than 20 years ago. I think was like it 20. in the 90s? It was in the 90s. It's like 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in denial. Um, and uh, And we have been uh, good and then great and then amazing friends ever since. So um, he does this really cool thing with his intro students. He teaches um, like I do. We have an introductory level course at SHIP, which is U.S. government and politics. And it's the, you know, just the basic, you know, three branches of government, that kind of thing. And he has his students memorize a list of the most important things that every political scientist you know, slash American should know. And it's, you know, kind of the stuff like 435 members of the House, you know, 100 members of the Senate, that kind of thing, like just the basic facts. And so we thought it would be fun if Lance came on to the pod and 
quizzed us and also quizzed our audience to see how much everybody knew. Because as much as we think we know, and we learn this right from our our experts on um, cognition, like we think we know a lot, <laughs> sometimes we we don't know as much as we think. So. Um, so we're going to bring him on and he's going to quiz us about the most important things that every American should know about the government. Real quick, uh, before we will, we'll, we'll throw it to Lance, but, uh, real quick, since we're on the topic of government, uh, can I tell you a very quick, funny story? Please. Okay. Uh, just earlier today, uh, I was watching my two oldest kids. They were having a conversation, uh, in a lot of detail. I was actually kind of proud with their historical knowledge of Abraham Lincoln's assassination. Oh. And they were just talking to each other. And I could notice that my uh, youngest daughter was sitting off to the side uh, very earnestly and, 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 and very focused, you know, listening to what they were saying. And after they were done in her very sweet lisp, she says, just so you know, I'm not going to any plays. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's so sweet and sad. And with that, we'll be joined by Lance Bailey <laughs> up next. <laughs> All right, Allie, well, Lance has arrived. Dr. Lance Bailey is a political science extraordinaire. In his classes, in his political science classes, he quizzes his students on the things that are most important to know about government, and that is in fact what he is here to do today. He's going to quiz me and Allie and our listeners. So, Dr. Lance Bailey, thanks for joining the show. Well, thank you both for having me here. I, I will say the only reason I'm knowledgeable on this topic is I got a clipboard with all the answers. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I've done this for 20 years in my class. I make my students do what we call the basics test to make sure that their vocabulary in American politics is up to snuff. So they're not running around talking about politics, but not knowing the essential parts of it. And so we're going to see if you two know the essential parts of American politics. All right. Well, we hope everybody who's listening will play along. So you'll hear Lance ask the question and then you can answer the question in your head or shout it out at the gym while you're listening and running on the treadmill. But um, Allie and I are going to compete and we'll try to see who's the fastest to come up with the answer. First easy question. During the honey war of 1839 between Iowa and Missouri, I'm joking. I'm totally joking. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> Wait, Lawrence left. Somebody get Lawrence back. <laughs> there was such a thing as the honey war, but uh, you don't want to know what it's about. But a sheriff got arrested. He tried to tax some honey. It's a big deal. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go with some really easy ones. Ready? Here it goes. How many members are on the Supreme Court? Lawrence, your hand was first. I'm going to say Nine. Is that an answer? Well, as you should. <laughs> ding, ding. Why ding, would ding, you say nine members? Why would you say two. something else besides that? So um, here's a bonus now, question. A lot- oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, the no, go right question ahead. to this. Where in the Constitution is that number of members set? Allison Dagnus, your hand's up. It, 
It is not in the Constitution. And that's why there has been talk of packing the court, Mm -hmm. that the idea that Joe Biden would nominate more justices to the Supreme Court to even out the conservative liberal um, imbalance that exists right now. Ding, 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 ding. Very well done. It was a trick question. Magnus picks it up well. All right. Next question. Who is the current Speaker of the House? Lawrence. Nancy Pelosi. Very well done. Ding, ding. Nancy Pelosi's correct. This is a warm up round. We just want to make sure that you do actually read and apparently you do. So that's good. Uh, You know, she was the first woman Speaker of the House. And then she was not the Speaker of the House. And then she was the Speaker of the House. So she still remains the only Speaker of the House who has been a woman. All right. Related to this, who is the current minority leader of the U.S. House of Representatives? Allie Dagnus. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy, who is so desperate to be the Speaker of the House that uh, you could see it. He actually, on his Chiron um, on Fox News, it says, Rep. Kevin McCarthy, Republican California, desperately wants to be Speaker of the House. And so he is, uh, he is the minority leader. And by minority, we are talking about the minority party in Congress, which right now is the Republican Party. And the Republican Party just needs to pick up five seats in the 2022 midterm elections in order for Kevin McCarthy to get his dream and become Speaker of the House. All right. Well, quick game show timeout. We've got two political scientists here. So let's get your hottest of hot takes. What's the likelihood that the Republicans will regain the House? In the midterms, I uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, well, look, the, the conventional wisdom is that midterm elections in a presidential midterm election, which is what 2022 is, is that the minority party, which is the Republican Party in the House, would gain seats. Uh, and it is close enough that if that conventional wisdom holds true, that they could pick up those seats. I think there's I'm not really answering your question, I guess. There's a couple of things. One is uh, congressional districts are going to be redrawn. And there's enough states controlled by Republicans that you would expect them to further tighten their ability to maintain um, uh, seats, even in cases where there's a minority population uh, that would support them. So my I would say is a 70 percent chance Republicans take the House in 2022. I think that sounds about right. Um, It is Interesting that right now with a 50-50 Senate, you would think that the Republicans would have a better shot at regaining control of the Senate. But in fact, I think if you look at where the the sort of the hot races are in the Senate, it does not necessarily look like the Republicans will take over. Although Lance is completely correct, as usual, in that during midterm elections, normally the out party does gain some seats in both um, houses. But this time, it kind of looks like the Democrats may be poised to pick up some seats. They are uh, defending fewer seats than the Republicans are. And the ones that they are defending look relatively safe. So we'll see. I'm going to give you two more easy questions. Let's see if we get two more easy questions. This one is, uh, it looks a little juiced up, but this judicial power is not found in the Constitution, but it gives the courts very substantial power. Ali Dagnus. The power of judicial review, which yes. gives 
the Supreme Court and the federal district, the federal courts, the right to review the actions of the president and the executive branch and the laws passed by Congress to make sure that they are constitutionally fit. That is correct. It's a strange omission. The third article of the Constitution, which covers judicial power, is extremely vague. And in fact, uh, most of it is defined by what Congress decides the courts to look like. And judicial review is not mentioned, but assumed. Many people basically feel like it was an assumed power. I think it was Joe Rogan who made a joke that uh, if you could go back in time and bring the founders uh, in a time machine to today, one of the first questions they would ask is, uh, you guys haven't added anything to the Constitution since we wrote it? Uh, Dude, I wrote that with a feather. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, next question. Let's start ramping it up a little bit. This is the only member of the current U.S. Supreme Court that was not a judge before being appointed and confirmed to the nation's highest court. The only member of the Supreme Court who is not a judge first. Dr. Dagnus. I'm going to go with Elena Kagan. Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. Elena Kagan was never a judge. She was nominated at one point for the Supreme She was? She was, but the nomination died in the Senate and uh, then she became dean of the Harvard Law School, but then most importantly, under President Obama, became the Solicitor General, which is often referred to as the Tenth Justice. And when an opening came along, President Obama nominated her, and she was confirmed. Now, the Solicitor General is a political appointment, and that person gets to argue cases in front of the Supreme Court on behalf of the government when the government is a party in the case. So let's say that um, uh, if, if Joe Biden's, uh, what has he done? Like one of the executive actions right now, you know, that he has taken about immigration or anything. If that gets taken to the Supreme Court, then the attorney who argues the case on behalf of the United States, because Joe Biden is the United States at this point, uh, that person is the solicitor general. And they help regulate the court cases, too. They make recommendations to the court about which cases they think should be heard by the court. And they're taken very seriously. So very close relationship. So if there was a case, Ali Dagnus versus the U.S., and it made it to the Supreme Court, the Solicitor General would show up. Here's the next question. Um, And I can either ramble them off or we do. I guess we got to do a quiz, right? What is the average age of a House member? Dr. Eppard. All right, I'll say 55. Wait, let's do an over under. Yeah, let's, let's do an, do an over under. under. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yeah, so Lawrence threw down Lawrence threw down 55. And I'm going to say that Madison Cawthorn's election uh just oh. brought it down. I'm going under. Under 55. Under 55. Ding ding ding, Dr. Eppard wins. The average age is 58.4. Wow. wow. And in the Senate, 64.3. Is- so senators are almost 65. And in the House, it's almost 59. Now, here's one that you're really going to want to know. Ready about this one? What I'm going to go with uh, the House. What is the average length of term in years for a member of the House of Representatives? I'll give you the options. And these are rough numbers. 22, number of years served in the House of Representatives. 22, average length, right? 22, 18, 14, 11, or 9. 
22, 18, 14, 11, or 9? I'll let you both put in your answers and we'll see who wins. Okay, I'm going with 14. Dagnus goes 14. Okay, well, I will go with 9. 8.9 years. This is surprising because lots of people call for term limits, but the average, a- the average length, when you look at it, is less than five terms. Right? If you put in term limits, you'd probably make it four terms, which would be eight years, which is what we have now on average. Of course, we've got outliers that mess with those, but 8.8. And for the Senate, is it 28 years, 21 years, 19 years, or 11 years? 21 years. <clears throat> 21, says Dagnus. 21. So 28, 21, 19, or 11? I'll say 11. You are correct. 11 years. A very surprising number. Less than two terms. People are very surprised. But it's been like that for the most part. Um, For the House, they kind of go up and down in terms of number of terms. For the Senate, uh, I believe it's been ticking up a little bit just in recent years. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, that really flies in the face of conventional wisdom, right? That these that folks get to D.C. and they just park it and stay there and they never, ever leave. That's correct. So that's a good thing to remember. They're really not doing that. Wow. Well, we go, outliers. Congress. We focus on the outliers. So we look at a Sanders or a Barbara Mikulski or, you know, whatever, a Nancy Pelosi, a Diane Feinstein. But <coughs> largely they rotate out. Yeah. Very strange. Interesting. How that All right. Let's do a fun one. You ready? Which, I'll start with the easy one, and then we'll go to the harder one. Which president had the Secret Service code name Rawhide? Which president had the Secret Service code name Rawhide? Rawhide. Doctor Dagnus. Ronald Reagan. Bing, Bing, Bing. Ronald Reagan is correct. Ah! Ronald Reagan is correct. Oh my gosh! I want a pony. That's fantastic. All right, here it comes. So we'll move out of uh, all the demographics of Congress, which I uh, I think we've hammered a little bit here. Let's go with um, oh, where was I? Where was I? Oh, this is a good one. We'll stay on presidents for a second. Which president said this? This is a quote from a president. Which president? If one morning I walked on top of the water across the Potomac River, the headline that afternoon would read, President can't swim. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a hint. I'm gonna say it again. I'm gonna try to imitate him. Now, if one morning I walked out top of the water across the Potomac River, the headline that afternoon would read, "President can't swim." If that helps or not, but yes, Doctor Eppard, LBJ. Yes, LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson. I even listened to some tapes of his. They have amazing recordings of his phone calls and stuff at the Miller Center at the University of Virginia. Oh, my God, they're hilarious. Where he talks about getting his uh, pants uh, taken in and uh, talking about his dog and, and then doing the, doing the Johnson treatment on senators and representatives. Really awesome stuff to listen to. I need about six pairs of wear around in the evening when I come in from work. And I need uh, the about a half an inch too tight in the waist. Uh, do you recall the exact size? I just wanted to be sure we get them right for you. No, I don't know. You, you all just guessed at them, I think, son. But wouldn't you have the measurements there? We'll find them for you. Now, the pockets, when you sit down in the chair, 
The knife and your money comes out, so I needed at least another inch in the pockets. Yeah. Now, another thing that crotch down where your is hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me a inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So believe me, uh, you never do have much margin there. But see if you can't leave me about it. an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, round uh, under my back to my Sorry, I had to I had to put that in there, but uh proceed, game show host Bailey. All right, let's see here. Oh, here's a here's a political thought one. Let's see if you guys can get into the philosopher's range. Which famous philosopher Uh-oh. detailed the concept of separation of powers? Which famous philosopher that the founders all read? So it had to be before 1787. Dr. Dagnus. I'm going to go with John Locke. No, but a great guess. I mean, he was more, even more influential, John Locke, of course. So this is about constitutional arrangement of the powers. Yes, Dr. Eppard. All right. I'm almost 100% sure about this one. Milo Yiannopoulos. (laughs) (laughs) No, but his... His great, 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 great uncle, Montesquieu, the Baron Montesquieu, Esprit de Loi, the spirit of the laws. Yeah, okay. You know, I should have guessed Montesquieu because you always loved Montesquieu. You were like a Montesquieu guy in grad school. Well, I was and I wasn't. I had to take an entire seminar only on Montesquieu. We read one. Well, we read his two books that Montesquieu wrote. And I think I got a B plus and not an A. And so to call me a Montesquieu guy is a bit of a stretch. Uh, and I remember falling asleep in that class a lot because they would take bets about when I would fall asleep in the middle of a three and a half hour seminar. <laughs> now, I, I want to defend myself. I want to, this was Nick Zeno, so I don't know if you remember, Alec. For some uh, reason, yeah. Nick decided to have a graduate seminar in Montesquieu at 9 a.m. And in a room in which there was a bank of windows where the sun was rising up and filling the room with warmth sun. So uh, anybody who's been to graduate school for their PhD knows your working hours are about 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. And an idea of a 9 a.m. three hour seminar on Montesquieu is almost unbearable. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay, let's go with uh, another one. Oh, here's some good one. Let's stay on the founding period a little bit. How often is God referenced in the Declaration of Independence or some version of God? God or the idea of a wait, wait, let's make this, let's make this an over under. Yeah. Okay. So I'm okay. So I'm going to proffer a number and then Lawrence, you got to go over or under. So it's God in the declaration of independence. Declaration of independence or some reference to God. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm going with four. All right. Under. You're going under. What was that? Under. He's he's going under four. The answer is four. Ah, the answer is four. Doctor <gasps> Dragnus, you nailed that one. Nice. Yay! Let's keep my doctorate. Here's here's a related question. How often is God mentioned in the U.S. Constitution? Not counting the citing page where it says in the year of our Lord. How often is it mentioned in the U.S. Constitution? Lawrence, your hand was first. 
Zero. Ding, 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 ding. All right. It's not mentioned at all. God gets no mention from the Constitution short of the signature page where it says in the year of our Lord. There's oh, how many people, here's a good question. How many people signed both the Declaration and the Constitution? Another over under? I'll give you a hint. It's single digits. How many people signed both documents? Okay, ready? Ready? The de- okay, wait. The Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Three. I'm going to go over. As you should, because I think I'm wrong. The answer is eight. Eight people signed both documents. Uh, including yes. James Who are they? Wilson. Well, this, I don't remember all the names, but I remember James Wilson because I had to write a paper about him in graduate school at the University of Virginia, which my professor was very famous, although he's passed away since, God bless his soul, mocked me about my paper in the seminar itself. It was about James Wilson, a guy named James Wilson, who was actually a member of the Supreme Court, uh, of the first Supreme what? Court, one of, uh, one of uh, George Washington's first appointments. Uh, but yet, while he was a member of the Supreme Court, got into debt trouble and was in and out of debtor's jail and running from the law while still serving on the court. He ended up uh, dying basically in debt and uh, uh, while he was on the court and hiding from officials in North Carolina. How about that for a life? That is that's living big. That's yeah. huge. Do you have any other oh, um, random stories about the founders that would be funny? Did you know that Alexander Hamilton was a really good rapper? He did freestyle. It was great. <laughs> and he was also he was also in Moana. He was also in Moana. Yeah. He was he was very multifaceted. Yeah, yeah. with with Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's not bad. Okay, so we'll stay on the founders for a couple, and then we'll go to some amendments and take a look. But um, so let's go with an easy. One. I think well, it's not an easy one. Well, it might be an easy one. James Madison. Alexander Hamilton, and this guy wrote the Federalist Papers. Who was this guy? Dr. Agnes. John Jay. That is and correct. the J is not the initial. It's not the, it's not, it's not last name is not like Jackson. Uh, it actually is Jay, J-A-Y. And John Jay was also, if memory serves, on the Supreme Court. Yes, I was, that was the bonus question. You are empathically understanding where I'm going on this. Correct. He was on the very yep. first. Supreme Court. He also wrote the fewest Federalist Papers. I can't remember the number, but I think it was like 10 of them. Five. Five. It was five. Who wrote the most? Mm -hmm. Who wrote the most of them? Alexander Hamilton. Right. Who wrote the most important ones? And I learned that in the musical. Who wrote the most important ones, though? Oh, Madison wrote the most important ones. Yeah, of course. How many were there in total, Allie? Do you know? Wasn't it? Boy, I want to say 187, and I don't know why I want to say that. 85. No, 87. 85. Yeah, 87, yeah. Right. It might be 87. Okay. I, I just thought in my brain it was 85, so maybe I'm wrong even as well. Um, and But we, we also talk about in class, of course, are what we call the anti-federalists, the losers of the great debate, and uh, who argued against the Constitution, or at least parts of the Constitution. And they wrote their own papers, but they weren't as organized. They didn't have a plan B. They were just sort of critics. So they had a lot of problems. But... I'm going to give you a list of names. I want there were several of these people, and they many of them had pen names, just like Publius, right? But different. I don't want you. I want you. I'm going to read them to you. I want you to tell me which one is an actual pen name of one of the anti-federalist writers. You understand what I'm asking? 
Which one of these was actually a pen name of one of the anti-federalist writers? Potomac Patriot, Cassius, there was a lot of reference to, you know, early historical figures, Plenty the Elder, Federal Farmer, or Dirk Diggler and the Carolina Statesman. <laughs> should, I read, should I read them again? <laughs> Potomac. <laughs> I thought like 10 minutes last night about whether I should throw that one in. <laughs> Okay. Potomac Patriot, Cassius, Plenty the Elder, Federal Farmer, or Dirk Diggler, and the Carolina Statesman. Which one is it? Which one's the real one? Doc Trafford. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Federal Farmer. It was the Federal Farmer. Federal Farmer. And I forget which guy wrote it. It was... um, a guy out of Virginia. I'm trying to remember which one out of Virginia actually wrote it. But that was his name. All the others are made up. As far as well, I know. Wait, I've got a question. Yes. What What were the letters for letters from Cicero? Hmm, that might have been another anti-Federalist writers. This is the problem with the anti-Federalists. They were all little individual writers who wrote a few letters here and there, and some were recognized, some weren't. What happens historically is because it gets ratified, the Federalist papers get sort of brought. You know, at the time they were important, but they're not important the way we think of them now. Um, and so they get brought together as a collection and, and they get seen as a, you know, a, a, a tree on the Constitution and the, all that. So we tend not to know the names very well, including myself. Federal Farmer is a very famous one. Brutus is another one. Um, there's another one. I can't remember now. OK, let's go to some amendments and rights. You ready? Uh, what? Uh, no, let me think. Hmm. Well, that's a little technical. Let's get let's get into some rights ones here. Uh, how about uh, well, this is uh, I don't know. You might get this. Where does the term Miranda rights come from? Where does oh. the term Miranda rights come from, Doctor Agnes? Ernesto Miranda was arrested for I believe something horrible like rape, and he was um, he said I don't have a lawyer. And um, I am going to tell you everything and you don't you aren't telling me my rights. So um, I'm going to blurt out all of the stuff about how bad a guy I am. And he went to jail and while in jail said it isn't fair because I was arrested for something and I was never apprised of my rights. I didn't know that I had the right to ask for an attorney. I didn't know that I had the right to remain silent. And so uh, the Supreme Court in Miranda versus Arizona said, you need to be apprised of those rights. And if you are not, then you are let out of jail at that time. And he was. And I think he went on to do more crimes. And I think he died in prison. Ernesto. Wow, you know the details. Yeah, he went to go do more crimes and got stabbed to death somewhere. Oh, that's it. Okay. And whoever stabbed him got read their Miranda rights. Oh, I like that. It comes full circle. I'm not sure if that's true, but let me do one more amendment one, then we're going to go into some other rounds. Um, 
where in the Bill of Rights, where in the Bill of Rights would you find the free exercise clause? The free exercise clause. That might be a yes. Oh, Dr. Dagnus. So the free exercise clause is in the First Amendment to the Constitution, and it refers to our right to practice our religion as we wish. And that is um, in there with the Establishment Clause, which says that the government cannot favor one religion over another. And these religious protections were put into place not because we were established as a Christian nation. Quite the contrary, they were put into place because there were so many different religions that were represented at the time of the founding. The founders wanted to make sure that the government didn't push one religion on to the citizens and that every citizen was allowed to either be religious or not be religious. And that is the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. Boom. Dang, you don't mess around. <laughs> Students are often surprised to learn that the First Amendment has five parts to it, and religion being the first mm -hmm. of the five parts, interestingly enough, and it has sort of two parts of its own. But um, so often we think of the First Amendment as just free speech, but it's not. It's protest and uh, redress your grievances, freedom of press, freedom of religion, these kinds of things. And uh, so there's a lot of parts to it, and the court treats each of those very um, intensely, like, but it's almost like separate amendments within it along the way. Mm -hmm. Well, since we have two excellent political scientists here, um, why don't you clear up for us? A lot of Americans are following these debates about big tech and Facebook and Twitter and whether or not they can uh, censor and regulate people's speech on their platforms. Um, you tell us, you guys are the experts, so are they violating our free speech by doing so? Nope. And here's why. Because First Amendment refers to the government's silencing of citizens and the government intervening in free speech issues. Facebook, as big as they are, is not the government. They are a private entity. And when you go onto Facebook and you click their user agreement, you are then saying, you get to do whatever you want. I'm choking up all of my personal information for you and go for it because I am desperate to see pictures of my neighbor's cat. And when you do that, that is your choice as opposed to having a government entity that is regulating how much we can say and what we can say. Yeah, I would agree with Allie. Uh, so we've always had to deal with speech in the private realm. Newspapers don't have to print your letter. Right. They don't have to run a story on you. They never have. Radios don't have to run that story. And Facebook and these other places are the same. Or is, is it problematic? Could the government regulate it some? I think they could. But uh, as of right now, I agree with Ali completely. Thank you. Yeah. So which amendment would you find the Equal Protection Clause? Where would you find the Equal Protection Clause? Oh, Dr. Eppard. The 14th. Ding, ding, ding. You got it right. The Equal Protection Clause is found in the 14th Amendment. Yeah, the 14th Amendment is a really important amendment because in addition to the Equal Protection Clause, it gets used to what we call selectively incorporate all the other Bill of Rights. What other many Americans don't realize is that up until the early part of the 20th century, basically, um, that the 
Bill of Rights and the Constitution did not protect you against intrusions by states. So if you're in Pennsylvania, you're like, the governor's a bum and his wife is ugly and we should throw him out of office and Pennsylvania arrest you. You cannot claim a First Amendment right to speech because it's not the federal government arresting you. It's Pennsylvania arresting you. And so incorporation is a very slow process that has gone on until literally just a couple of years ago. Still going on, really, in which the courts, little right by little right, decide to say this protects you from state intrusion. And so they, they use this through the Equal Protection Clause. You say the Equal Protection Clause protects me from state of Pennsylvania doing this to me in my life. So it's really important. Was that overly academic-y, complicated, complicated? I don't know. The most recent one was actually the Second Amendment, which had not been incorporated until just a few years ago. In fact, it got incorporated the a day when I was teaching uh, my PLS 100. You probably had the same thing, Allie, where you got to say, oh, my God, we have an actual incorporation case in Chicago versus McDonald's, which was the uh, was a gun rights case. Mm-hmm. Okay, you two, it's time for our lightning round now, where you each get to ask a series Ooh. of questions, and you have to give your quickest response if we move on. I have separate questions for Dr. Eppard and separate questions for Dr. Dagnus. So we'll start with Dr. Eppard. Let me know when you're ready, sir. Are you ready? Uh, I don't think so, but we okay. might as well go. So All go right. ahead. <laughs> this now retired academic is known as the father of modern linguistics. <laughs> uh, Noam Chomsky. Correct. Where does Noam Chomsky currently live? Tucson, Arizona. Correct. What Virginia University has the Highlander as their mascot? <laughs> Radford University. Ding, ding. Correct. What famous U.S. politician attended Concord University in West Virginia? Oh, oh famous no. politician. I don't know. You the only attended in graduate. Can I, can I answer? You may. Can I, can I answer? It's a tag-in. Robert Byrd. Robert Byrd. Robert Byrd. Oh. answer to everything famous politician in West Virginia is Robert Byrd. <laughs> yes. Bird. If you say it's West Virginia, it's got to be Robert Byrd. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next question. If you have four children... Which one is the most important one? (laughs) (laughs) Whoever's asking you for something in the moment. Wrong. (laughs) The first one, because of declining marginal utility. (laughs) 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 Where does the term Gini coefficient come from or stand for? It is the last name, but I can't remember the guy's first name. He's Italian, I think. Spanish. Yeah. I cannot remember his first Corrado name. Corrado uh, Corrado Jimmy. There you go. I always there thought it was go. an acronym. Next up, who was the greatest jazz musician ever? Oh, gosh. Uh, Miles Davis? Wrong. Tiny Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Ding, 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 ding. Nice lightning round. Nice lightning round. That'll be your fifth child, Lawrence. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. As uh, for those listeners who aren't completely familiar with declining marginal utility, the first one is usually the most valuable. Your first dollar you earn is the most valuable. And as a budget analyst once told me, it's like donuts. If you get a dozen donuts and eat them all, the first donut tastes the best. And the 12th donut tastes the least best. I thought that was always a great way to describe declining marginal utility. I was hoping that you were going to ask me who signed uh, the, the Declaration of Independence the, the biggest, and I was going to say, Doy Herbie Hancock. <laughs> 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 All 
All right. Are you ready, Dr. Allison Dagnus? I am ready. I think I'm ready. Ready, number one. Who said the phrase, super mad at everything, all the time? Uh, John Mulaney. And then I stole it from him because plagiarism is the highest form of flattery. Correct. <laughs> Where did C-SPAN's founder, Brian Lamb, go to college? To Purdue University, home of the Boilermakers. Very good. Bonus question. Affiliated. What is his wife's name? Victoria. Ding, ding, ding. Bonus question number two. What branch of the military did he serve in? He served in the Navy uh, under Richard Nixon. It's a hat. It's a hat trick. Did you just say Richard Nixon? I did. Because that's the answer to the next question. Who was okay, good. with developing the Southern strategy? Richard Nixon. Exactly. <laughs> what famous high school has the fighting frogs as their mascot? Oh, that would be the Murray School. And um, I was the fighting frog uh, one time during homecoming. That's and I was correct. very excited to be the fighting frog. Yes. Ding, ding, Thank ding. you. Okay. Here's a complicated one. The designated okay. survivor from the Clinton administration had a town. This designated oh. survivor from the Clinton administration had Italian food with his daughter in Brooklyn during the 1997 <laughs> State of the Union address. Who was he? Um, that was uh, Dan uh, 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 it was, Dan. wait, 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 it was Dan, it was Dan, it was Dan, it was Dan, and his daughter, uh, was one of my sister's very best friends, and she got a fake ID with my name on it, and, and, uh, I was called for jury duty at his house, Dan, what is his name, he was Secretary of Agriculture, and then he was the president of the MPAA, um, it is, Oh my gosh, why am I not from Kansas? He was a congressman from Kansas. What is his name? Oh my gosh, why am I not remembering this? The pressure is getting to me. Dan Glickman. Glickman. Oh my gosh, Amy, Amy Glickman, friend of the pod. I'm right. so sorry. I could not remember your last name. Next question. Uh, what kind of butter should you serve at Thanksgiving? Butter in the mold of a turkey. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, what is it called when a football gets when a football player gets the football across the end zone to score? What's that called? I don't know. Pass. Wait, Lawrence, what is it called when you throw a football across an end zone? Home run. <laughs> Touchdown. 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 I had a party. I had a party once and nobody explained it to me, but I bought a lot of wings. Yeah. I don't know. And the final question. Who was the greatest jazz musician ever? Uh, Lance Bailey. Uh, no, Kenny G. The answer is Kenny G. Oh, that's <laughs> shoot. I th- I, you know what? I've seen him in all of those Honda well, commercials. I, I'll, and, give you, uh, I'll give you a, an extra question just because you're so nice. Okay. Thank you. What Thank does you. Ben Gibbard do? What does Ben Gibbard <gasps> do? What doesn't he do? Oh, he's the lead singer of Death Cab for Cutie, the single greatest band of all time in the history of anything and everything. He has the key to my heart, the key to my ears. If he had the key to my house, I'd be really, really happy right now. Yes, that is Ben Gibbard. <laughs> Thank you for asking. I think uh, I don't think my questions were very balanced. I kind of feel like I gave too many softballs here to uh, to Allie, but I don't think so. You asked me about Radford, where I taught. Yeah, yeah so you, gave us, you gave us both yeah, a lot of softballs. That's important, yeah. That's yeah, that's right, that's right. But yeah, you knew to Miles Davis. I wish you'd asked me my favorite Kenny G song. I would have said the time he played one note for 87 hours. Oh. My <laughs> favorite was when he did the E-flat scales. I thought that was a really great album. <laughs> E-flat scales in seven different ways. <laughs> no, legitimately, Ali, he like went to some music store and wanted to set a Guinness World Record for playing one note for hours. 
Really? Without you breaking. breathing. Where you breathe in and out at the same time, sort of. You have air in your mouth and you breathe in. That's crazy. That's, um, it is Stupid. crazy. I think stupid's the word you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Utterly Moderate Podcast. Before we go, we want to remind you to visit our website, utterlymoderatenetwork.com. There you can find all of our podcast episodes and their companion resources, our guide to reliable news outlets, the contact page where you can suggest topics for future shows, and more. That's utterlymoderatenetwork.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us on our next episode. And until then, we'll play you out with friends of the show, the Riders in the Sky. Happy trails to you until we meet again. Happy trails to you. Keep smiling until then. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather. Happy trails to you till we meet again. Take a liking to you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.